Okay, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Salmon. Peter, I'd, uh, you know we're talking about music stuff today and uh, haven't been able to get on my head the last couple of days. Somebody uh, combined uh, the Commodore's Easy with Kisses, Rock and Roll, All Night and uh put it online and that's i've been kind of obsessed with this one minute clip for the last several days it's just over and over and over again it's well i mean you can play it a couple of times it's like okay i got the gist of this but then you know you're in the shower and suddenly you're you're singing rock and roll all night to the tune of easy and you gotta just gotta indulge it all over again yeah (laughs) that's what that's what that's uh i hope you've been enjoying your music i've uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> been enjoying mine as well mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. uh different departments i actually have been uh trying to check out some elvis presley because i did not grow up listening to him much and we'll talk more about that later mm-hmm. oh, good good segue yeah you didn't grow up in the 50s interesting anyway um and credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be, as Peter implied, the new musical biopic Elvis, which you can now see in a theater near you. And given box office numbers, it seems like a great many of us have been checking out Elvis. Actually, uh, I was... in the States, jeepers. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I went to an early matinee for Elvis, and... Uh, there were, I mean, it wasn't like the theater was packed. I mean, that's why I like going to matinees because it's very rarely packed. But there, I was surprised how many people were there to watch Elvis on a Saturday afternoon. Oh yeah, same here. I went to one of the uh, like the last Silver City, one of the less uh, popular, and it was uh, it wasn't packed, but uh, like mm-hmm. you said, it was way heavier than I thought. And I saw matinee as well. It was, I think the eleven forty or whatever. Oh wow! It was, yeah, it was it was pretty busy. And uh, well, actually, I, we'll talk more about it later. But yeah, <laughs> yes, we will talk more about it. More later. than uh, more than Jurassic Park. Uh, as it should be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but before getting into Elvis, which is, uh, as I said, a biopic, uh, it's not exactly new ground to do these sort of lavish uh, Hollywood biographical dramas about famous musicians. Uh, Elvis, I think what the thing that kind of kept Elvis from being realized for years was uh, music rights um so that that does happen sometimes that it's not about you know nobody wanting to make a movie about elvis because why wouldn't you he's uh he remains a very uh well-known and influential musician but it's it's just sometimes these rights issues so we decided to look at other great musical biopics and talk about some of our favorites so we each have a list of three I'm fairly confident there won't be crossover, but we will find out in a minute. And uh, Peter will kick us off by talking about his. Uh, well, I, I whatever order you want to take this in, Peter, your number three or your number one. What, no, I'll do the do. classic. Yeah, I'll go with number three. Okay. Uh, so for number three, I picked the Buddy Holly story, 1978. Mm-hmm. I uh, myself am just, you know, since I was a little young and a huge fan of Buddy Holly and the, you know, crickets, I, I, I guess, you know, Buddy Holly and his that was his band. Yes. Yeah. His subordinates. 
uh, the crickets. It just feels weird saying their name, but whatever. Anyways, the Buddy Holly story, Steve Rash, and uh, you know, you could say what you want about Busey, but the performance is outstanding. And unlike a lot of musical biopics, all the music is him, all mm-hmm. of it, the guitar, the vocals, and it's really outstanding. And it's kind of sad when you think of the current Gary Busey but one of the really great focuses uh and this one the Buddy Holly story is uh the Apollo Theater in Harlem and Buddy Holly uh performing there mm-hmm. just uh kind of like we'll discuss more in Elvis the crossover of the genres and the inspiration but uh the scene seeing him at the Apollo Theater and him actually getting you know love and praise from you know their their most demographically common audience was uh yeah, it was just very interesting to watch and uh, shows how uh, profound of a musician uh, Buddy Holly was all around. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a musically uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal scene. Because like I said, it's, it's Busey just, just doing it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I also really enjoy, because uh, there were so many other films, but I enjoy it deals with the big bopper and Richie Valens as well, even though just, uh, you know, for a pinch of time, uh, honestly, this, I think would be number one, if it wasn't for everybody other than Gary Busey, they're not bad, but, uh, like they're not really, they're okay. They're not there. There's nobody. It's kind of why I made the little slight bash of the crickets. Uh, mm-hmm. The buddy Holly story is the buddy Holly story. And, uh, you know, that can be bad, a little bad for, for this biopic. You know, it's important to get a, a glimpse at, you know, other people. But mm-hmm. boy, Gary Busey as Buddy Holly, outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, remember when Gary Busey was an actor. Um, it's interesting to me, you are not familiar with Elvis, but you are familiar with Buddy Holly, who and, and they were kind of contemporaries. That's yeah buddy holly buddy holly a bit bit prior right <laughs> yeah yeah i think he died what 59 and mm-hmm. elvis didn't start recording until 57 i believe so i wouldn't say i, I would say you know uh, buddy holly came first uh the reason is mm-hmm. i absolutely love uh the jersey boys mm. uh Oh, wait, no, sorry. What, what am I thinking? Of? That's the later one. I love the, uh, I forget its name. I think just the Buddy Holly story, but there's an outstanding uh, play all about Buddy Holly. And I remember seeing it when I was a young and fell in love with uh, Buddy Holly that way. Right. Uh, and it's just him. Like I said, he was at the Apollo, right? And they just mm-hmm. loved him. Whereas we'll discuss it more, but Elvis, it was more kind of him inviting himself. There was more less uh, segregation I would say and issues of that nature with with Buddy Holly and I kind of knew that as a kid mm-hmm. and I don't absolutely love like heavy rock so you know I was more of like you know every day and that kind of song so I would say that's why yeah the crickets uh, overpassed Elvis <laughs> I just want to say the, the director of Buddy Holly because I'm, I'm looking it up here Steve Rash uh, that was his first movie and then he went on to make a couple of different seminal films he played he made can't buy me love he did son-in-law <laughs> and then uh things started to turn and by 2005 he's doing straight to dvd sequels to american pie and bring it on 
and road trip. I and all of those were amazing parts of my childhood. So, <laughs> all right, great all around. All right, my number. Uh, well, my first pick here, uh, kind of. Uh, well, not even the same. A little. It's, it, but it is. Uh, I guess prior to our era, um, it is Alex Cox's 1985 movie Sid and Nancy, uh, starring Gary Oldman as Sid Vicious and it is the story about the tumultuous uh, very brief uh, flamed out romance between Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen who was an American in London when she met uh, uh, Sid and ended up you know following the uh, Sex Pistols when they went on their first and only American tour because they broke up in the middle of their American tour and they ended up Sid and, and Nancy settling in New York and just disappearing further and further into a haze of uh, terrible drug abuse and mutual abuse and it, I mean it's not even it's not really a story about the music um, but it's an interesting story about just you know people who are just self-destructive and uh there there's kind of no and alex cox kind of addressed this that he was he wanted to do this movie because he didn't want to someone to sort of glam up or i guess romanticize um sid and, and nancy's story i guess there's something of an undercurrent of um well, some people venerate se- the Sex Pistols for um, leading the charge uh, in the punk music genre. There are some people who consider them uh, very minor players um, in the art form, I guess, as compared to people who never really got famous. Um, I guess, like maybe or the originators of punk, too, like the Motor City Five, Richard Hell, you know, people like that who. Um, would definitely still to this day not be played on the radio. Um, you can probably hear anarchy in the UK on some oldie station uh, now. And uh, y- you know, the clash London calling gets, gets used in all kinds of commercials. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it is a remarkable little indie in that it just, it is not romantic at all. It is really quite, in your face just how miserable these people were and how miserable they kind of made each other and how (laughs) um it's 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 framed like a romantic story but it's an utterly unromantic story just and there are so many scenes where they just there's just like this anarchy around them and they're just kind of like wading through like it just it just doesn't affect them there's a scene where they're at the chelsea hotel in new york which is a very famous hotel where a lot of very famous people have stayed including sid vicious and you know they set a fire to their room and they're very non-non-plus about it and the the firefighters burst in and put it out and the manager's basically taking them to a new room and he's yelling at them how it's the chelsea hotel even though at this point it's basically a dive um, and how they needed to respect it. And, um, you know, they're Sid and, and Nancy are just walking like they're not even they're barely listening to the hotel manager. I think they're barely recognized that there was a fire in the room and that, you know, they could have very well been killed. And and there are a couple of different scenes like this. There's a scene after the God Save the Queen performance where, you know, the police are arresting punk rockers left right and center and mid sid and nancy are just sort of and it's this beautiful long shot of just them like traipsing out as all this chaos is going around them so it's it's 
it's this fascinating look at frankly two miserable people that essentially killed each other it's it's um it's not it's not breezy sunday afternoon watching but i think it is a sort of this vitally important movie that deconstructs um what might have in different hands been like sort of this celebrated romantic relationship i I think we very much often equate romance to self-destruction in a lot of these larger than life romantic stories and alex cox is saying like no this they did they did not burn bright and fade away they you know fell apart and left pieces of themselves all over the place so it's it's and it's plus it's got really like gary oldman it's it's no surprise he becomes a really big star after that so uh that's my I'm, I'm surprised because you've bashed him before <laughs> have i bashed gary oldman before well i mean we i think it was us who reviewed mank or at least uh we talked about it the one time and you were you were not a fan you thought he was in what pretty, uh mank or whatever oh man i mean that was one that's one movie okay anyway um, i thought i thought he was drawing attention to himself and that's a theme we might come back to when we start reviewing all this but i'll i'll let you go with your number two yeah, so number two for me, uh, even though I do understand some of the reviews, mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of already spoiled this, I pick uh, Jersey Boys. I mm-hmm. uh, I love them. I like Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. Just, their music is outstanding. And uh, I have seen Jersey Boys in Toronto a couple times, and I just, I love them. I love the Four Seasons. And the music is objectively outstanding in Clint Eastwood's work. Uh, like I said, the acting, what are you going to do? But the music <laughs> is just, yeah, it's it's so good. It's been a while since I've seen it. So, you know, maybe it was partially the viewpoint of a, a young child onto a, you know, a film of someone they love, although I was actually 20. So <laughs> you had the heart of a young child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just realized. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'll be, I I will maybe watch it again one day. But all I know is that when I viewed it, I absolutely loved it, and I mm-hmm. really the four seasons are just outstanding. And uh, what I really enjoy about it too is, and this could be good or bad. This actually might be, you know, he doesn't know much about acting, but uh, Frankie Valley actually had a a decent uh, role in the film when it comes to its production and everything. Mm. You know, he made an agreement and everything, and gave allowance to uh, all of the films. Uh, yeah, Maya, eyes adored you and silhouettes and other classics like that were just directly his voice in the film. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty much just like paying the film amount of money <laughs> to see a play that is just an okay one of Jersey boys, but Jersey boys is awesome. And Broadway and Toronto is expensive. So I suggest <laughs> you. <laughs> if you like the four seasons, I'd say watch Jersey boys. The film that's that's all i really have to say about it because other than the music it's it's okay uh it is also a rare clint eastwood musical yeah so. it's also i would say a rare uh misfire reviews when it comes to reviews so for eastwood yeah it's yeah i mean, I mean it is i i'm not sure what drew him i mean other than like maybe he's like hey remember them four seasons fellas i don't know but uh yeah it's not even the the kind of band i would picture him listening to i would picture him more like johnny cash kind of style like yeah hard hard country yeah bluegrass yeah it's weird um so i i i don't know it it might be interesting to to dig that up and see like maybe some of the eastwood 
uh, that interviews from Eastwood. I mean, this is this is also, I think, a, a time period where he was, you know, he he was struggling with some things like material wise. This was around the time he made J. Edgar, which is was another kind of misfire. Um, so he was weirdly ambitious during this period. Um, all right, for my number two, I have uh, something. <laughs> from from the Sid and Nancy period, but it was made it was made in 2010. Uh, it is the Runaways, um, and it's about the the band that uh, Joan Jan- Joan Jett's original band and uh, the the various personalities that went into making that band, uh, including and especially her relationship with Marie Curie. Um, and yeah, this is a film that kind of got overlooked, and I think a lot of people wrote it off because it came right in the middle of <clears throat> uh, Twilight Mania because Kirsten Stewart plays uh, Joan Jett, and so like I think a lot of people were writing her off as like, oh, the Twilight Girl, and uh, it was it was very clear from this that uh, she was not just the quote unquote Twilight Girl, and that she had a lot of um, really interesting dimensions to her, and that she could play a uh, someone as well known and as iconoclastic as Joan Jett, and I think there was a. I'm not sure how much this was hyperbolic and trying to promote the movie, but Joan Jett said she had listened to um, Kirsten Stewart sing one of her songs, and she she wasn't she she had thought for sure that was her singing the song, meaning Joan Jett was singing the song, but it was Kirsten Stewart singing the song. I don't know how with with how much salt to take that, but uh, I will say that. Kristen Stewart is, is very, very good in the role. And I would also say that um, uh, Dakota Fanning, who plays Marie Curie, is also very, very good. And this was a, a tough period for her. She's trying to make the transition from child actor to more serious adult actor. And I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great cast, too. You have Michael Shannon, you have Riley Koff, you have Stella Mauve, you have uh, Alicia Scott um, making up the rest of the band. And it's from this director, uh, Floria Sigismondi, who uh, is a graduate of the Ontario College of Art, by the Ooh. way. So local connection. Um, and it, it just it, it is a, a, a movie about a female band uh, from a female filmmaker. And, it you know, <laughs> so naturally it, it kind of got buried. It was like I think it was released in January 2010. So it's like it was literally almost literally snowed over because it's January, but um, there's a, there, there's really a lot to love here. It is, it's, it's very laid back. It, I mean, it, it does have some of the typical flourishes of, of a biopic. And I would say the same thing about straight out of Compton, which is about, it's not on my list, but it was about um, NWA where, it, you know, it follows a lot of the biopic conventions, but because, in the case of the Runaways, it's about an all-female band. In the case of Straight Outta Compton, it's about Black Raptors. It it, it it injects it with a new kind of vibrancy, and um, I, I think the Runaways too is also not um, overly solicitous to the, the the subject matter. Like it was, it was the story of of how difficult it was for this band to get up and going, and how um, one person accidentally stole the show and became sort of synonymous with pariahs. Like the reason why this band didn't work was her was just like the circumstances of the industry and the way women were being covered and the way women and music was being covered. It, you know, it's, it feels very much of a, 
of a type where uh, a lot of these movies where, you know, Yoko Ono, Marie Curie, Tanya Harding, these are kind of like evil women who ruined things. They ruined figure skating or they ruined rock music or, or they ruined the Beatles or what have you. And it turns out the truth is, is, is much more deeper than that. And I think the runaways is very conscious of that. And uh, also conscious of the way women would women trying to be rock stars were being treated at the time. Um, They were just trying to be musicians and other people were trying to make them as essentially pinup dolls. And so there's a lot of contradiction in, in the runaways, but I, I, I liked it a lot. And uh, I think it, it deserves a revisit because it's not just about the twilight girl playing Joan Jett. It's, it's a lot deeper (laughs) than that. (laughs) Well, I now uh, most recently played uh, Diane, right. Or Diana, whatever that, princess princess yeah i mean kirsten Stewart's doing a lot of interesting and sometimes weird stuff like she's in crimes of the future um so like yeah it, it's it i mean it was wrong then it's wrong now to write her off as a twilight girl i think not a lot of, not a lot of people are writing her off now but it was equally wrong to write her off then so yeah that's that's my number two yeah so- what about that lautner <laughs> huh <laughs> yeah he you know what he should he's due for a comeback i think he is he is he's due for a comeback like, he like, was uh outstanding at the uh the british uh cuckoo i think it's called he was great mm-hmm. there, so yeah. yeah bring on the launder songs <laughs> anyway no 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 but i i absolutely <laughs> agree with what you're saying uh Stuart, she's exactly like robert pattinson right it's i i honestly sometimes forget about twilight so mm-hmm. yeah i need to absolutely see uh the runaways yeah you know they should bring they should bring tyler lautner back as like i don't know scarecrow or something in the next batman or a groupie or something That'd be <laughs> or robin anyway yeah yeah uh what's your number three <laughs> all right so the difficulty of this for me because even though i do love the films i've mentioned thus far mm-hmm. i prefer biographies or live concerts like the last waltz Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one is, according to Wikipedia, it's also a you know biopic because mm-hmm. although mostly a documentary, it very uh, in a perfect way intertwines archival footage uh, in a way where it's still a solid plot uh, mm-hmm. from beginning to end. So hopefully it's okay I picked it, but 2012's uh, Marley is a documentary biographical film. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my absolute favorites, uh, not just biographical films, documentaries. Uh, and Bob Marley is one of my absolute uh, favorite musicians. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't love the direction the stoner culture took mm. him, but uh, this was around the time that was happening and shows so much more about him. Uh, marijuana isn't even really a huge plot, um, but it's absolutely, it's his birth to his death and told in a very linear way, but with beautiful archival footage. Um, The main focus is actually on the early years of him uh, in Jamaica, you know, with the whalers Mm -hmm. and uh, the Rastafarian culture, you know, Uh, and my, my apologies. I'm part of the problem, not the Rastafarian culture, the Rastafarian religion and culture. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not just for stoners. It's not just weed. It's an absolute, you know, religion, a, a viewing of, I forget his name, but the one uh, African as, uh, as, you know, the new Jesus, uh, the new God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it deals with that well, and it deals with his early days and 
the music that they got full uh, legal rights to all of the music and it's placed throughout. Um, and one of, not one of, one of my, not one of, sorry, my absolute favorite live performance, uh, No Woman, No Cry, uh, mm-hmm. Lyceum 1975. It's, uh makes me tear up pretty much every time and it's included in the film. Uh, and that's one of the hardest uh, legal rights to get for that classic. It's one of the only songs that is better live. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was hard to get it in this film. Um, and it deals, like I said, Rastafarian and also, uh, you know, um, not just Jamaica. He uh, dipped into the Zimbabwean liberation movements and uh, other political things going on like that. Mm-hmm. But what is also important, especially later on in the film, is they deal with his flaws and uh, what his kids and what his wife had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he cheated a lot, uh, was very open about that. And, um, you know, like John Lennon on occasion could be uh, abusive. So mm. it deals with that well. It deals with the racial issues he dealt with trying to make it in uh, the States um but most of all my favorite it just shows all of marley from beginning to end in a perfect way with and i'm someone uh who deals with archives myself it (laughs) it, it's such a heavy usage of them and in Mm -hmm. such a linear and beautiful way of his life uh so yeah that's my third one marley 2012 documentary biopic Mm-hmm. Uh, for my last pick, I have uh, Behind the Candelabra, which was supposed to be Steven Soderbergh's last movie, um, but it wasn't. Uh, it is like a, some of the other movies we're talking about, and definitely as, as we're, we'll talk about with Elvis, definitely a, looking back at this p- giant personality, Liberace, through the lens of, of what we kind of have learned about him since he died. Um, and of course, it's it's very much about his sort of latter days, um, his relationship with this young man that he hires to to be his driver, and then they en- end up in a romantic relationship and uh, are, are essentially a, a domestic couple until that falls apart. And and it is interesting that uh, you have Michael Douglas here. And I've been listening to the the latest round of You Must Remember This because it's been about sort of. Um, the the erotic movies of the 80s and uh, that's the point at which michael douglas emerges is as this like machismo figure this this guy who is is constantly uh or this, this actor is constantly thrown into roles where he must uh face off against like the deviousness of a woman so in like fatal attraction and then as we get into the 90s with things like disclosure and basic instinct it's it, it's so interesting to see michael douglas here in this role as the most flamboyant of gay men um and and seeing uh you know him romance a man and of course matt damon also comes with his fair share of um highly masculine roles uh thinking mostly of you know his jason Bourne performances but it's also refreshing uh to see a movie about two gay men that doesn't shy away from um you know seeing those men be physical with each other and and not just in terms of like sex but in terms of like kissing and and it, it, you know physical intimacy um and that's something that beyond the candelabra does very well and you know 
something like that, you know, you think about Michael Douglas at his height, you would never have gotten Michael Douglas at his height in the 80s or the 90s to play a gay man, let alone probably one of the most famous gay men to ever walk the earth, Liberace. Um, and, and even if you could convince him, homophobia still is a thing, especially when it comes to um, gay men. So uh, to see this, this figure of, of, of machismo and, and straight male, um, <laughs> straight male classic, uh, you know, male representation um, play, a, play Liberace was uh, really quite the discovery. And Michael Douglas throws everything he has into it. It's, it's such a great performance and um, such a great um, movie. It would have been a great send off for Steven Soderbergh, but he came back and decided to more great, make more great movies. So, you know, credit to him. Um, I can't, I can't fault him. He's a great filmmaker. Another great filmmaker is Baz Luhrmann. Is Elvis one of his better entries? We will talk about that in a minute. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Or what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome to a Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. In that moment, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero. Well, you may go to college. You may go to school You may have a pink Cadillac But don't you make nobody's room now, baby Come back, baby, I won't play house You wanna play house? What all that? The wiggle The what? Them girls won't see you wiggle Move, man And that was a clip from Elvis It's the new film from writer and director Baz Luhrmann And it stars Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, Olivia de Jong, Helen Thompson, Kevin Harrison Jr., and Richard Roxborough, as as we said, uh, has been kind of a big hit at the box office, a surprisingly big hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also surprising. This is Baz Luhrmann's first film in almost 10 years. Uh, he made Gatsby in 2013. And then it was um, it was five years. I think it, 2008 was when Australia came out. So this is a guy who. Yeah, Moulin Rouge to Australia was a huge gap as well. But this, yeah. this is uh, up until Elvis, uh, Great Gatsby Elvis is the longest thus far. It's just pretty much, it seems to be longer and longer each time. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he did do a TV show between... Yeah, I watched it. The uh, yeah. the Get Out, I think. It was a Netflix original. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's right, yeah. Which is also about music in a sense, too. So Yeah, exactly. So, Peter, uh you are an Elvis neophyte, so tell us, <laughs> tell us what what uh, you think about uh, the movie Elvis. 
Okay, so um, well, I, I have absolutely nothing uh, against Elvis Presley. I absolutely some of his music is outstanding. Um, but I do want to say, like you mentioned, I'm not like you know a go-to huge uh, Elvis Presley fan. You know, if I went to Las Vegas, uh, a entirely Elvis themed hotel or casino would not be my first choice <laughs> but other than some slight flaws we'll discuss i thought this elvis biopic was outstanding mm-hmm. um i you know it's actually in a weird way kind of changed my mindset towards elvis in a very large way and mm. uh last night just for fun i was i was listening to some you know i uh, my favorite i think is uh uh, in the ghettos, I really I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. I uh, Yun Me thought that was a Cartman, uh, Eric Cartman, <laughs> Eric Cartman original. So good to learn something new. Um, but as every other critic has understandably and rightly so saying, the main reason that I loved it, Elvis, is Austin Butler. He uh, he mm. was absolutely outstanding. I loved him as a Yannin in Zoe 101. Uh, he was only in it a bit supporting in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but was great in that. But seeing him in a main role for the first time was, uh, I-, I felt lucky. I- I- I'm glad, very glad I saw it in theaters. Um, just just outstanding. There's the one scene in particular where he uh, finds out some bad news towards his mom and he cries and it's... Uh, it almost brought tears to my eyes as well because mm-hmm. um, it's the first time you kind of see uh, Elvis almost like a little, a little child, almost a little baby. And it's just so sad. You know, I love my mom. It's just, yeah, it was, it was sad. Um, but him, him all around. Um, and I think we'll, like I said, uh, we'll talk more about the negatives, but I thought generally the casting was was pretty great all around, aside from Austin Butler, other than Tom Hanks. I don't think Tom mm-hmm. Hanks did an outstanding job. I, at first, I was kind of hoping maybe the manager, the colonel, my apologies, Mr. Parker, the colonel, <laughs> Tom Parker, uh, was as eccentric and kind of over the top uh, in dialogue as Tom Hanks was, but he isn't. I, I listened to some interviews and Tom Hanks took the voice a bit too far. Uh, mm-hmm. I surprisingly, I thought the makeup was okay. At first I didn't, but mm-hmm. I watched uh, an actual live interview of the Colonel and his face did look like that. It looked kind of like he had plastic, you know, on him as well. It was kind of weird. So that was okay. But I thought the voice was a little too uh, over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed to purposely keep in a very large amount of like the Holland to the accent and mm. that, that uh, Parker was Colonel Parker was kind of better, better at that himself. So <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks didn't need to go that far. Um, but I, I thought overall he too, wasn't, it wasn't horrendous, but uh, I think um, I wish Lerman wasn't like a huge Tom Hanks fan. You know, I think there could have been <laughs> a, a more of a, neutral kind of point of view from the the casting Mm. um but that's that's really my only my only huge flaw of it um there's some other aspects that i I think others might not love but uh they're just like they're they're elements that you have to have in a a baz lerman film um i can yeah we'll discuss more of that but what what were your thoughts Uh, on elvis 
I will <laughs> I will address the the hangs of it. Um <clears throat> I I did not I I was not able to make peace with the makeup. I thought it was atrocious. He looked like <laughs> he looked like he was made up to be Boss Hog as a Batman villain. I swear, uh, have you looked at like <laughs> old interviews? I I understand that that was how <laughs> Tom Parker looked or if that was indeed his real name. But um still it 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 just it felt gratuitous and over the top and the the voice and I mean it felt like he was doing a Pat Hingle impression of course Pat Hingle played um Colonel Parker in the the John Carpenter Elvis uh TV movie so it, I mean that that was a I mean I understand the casting of Hanks like casting Tom Hanks in this role is interesting number one because he very rarely plays villains number two he's essentially America's dad, if not America's grant, like he's played all of these like sort of heroic figures like Sullenberger and, and Mr. Rogers. And so like to cast him as like the, the guy who exploited Elvis to death um, makes a lot of sense um, in, in, in its way. But I, I feel like, I feel like the makeup and the voice, it, it just doesn't do him any favors. And the fact that the whole thing is framed and i think this is where the movie really struggles the movie sort of framed uh if you you sort of watch the beginning and the end and some you know certain parts in between it's framed it's like this is colonel parker's telling the story um but in the middle it's very it's this very sort of straightforward kind of elvisy biopic and yeah it, there's a huge portion that is just straight up elvis yeah, yeah. yeah. So that I mean that part, like the, the whole section where he's like he's working on the comeback special, and uh, it was a it was true that it was Parker's idea for him to do this like ridiculous, stupid Bing Crosby ish Christmas special, and then Elvis went to the 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 two guys I, whose names I can't remember, but one of them is played by Darcy Montgomery, um, and said like I I want to do like I want to make like a real artistic statement and not do some silly Christmas special, and that's what they ended up doing. They ended up producing this this the the sixty eight comeback special, which you know did launch Elvis's uh, post movie comeback. Um, yeah, but, it was uh, done by uh, Steve Binder. He's right, the but, uh, individually played, and yeah, he did a great job with it. But, but I and mean, he like, also worked with like Diana Ross and everything. Yeah, so. but all of that was like without Colonel Parker. Like you would think, like yeah, which is good. Well, I, it, it was definitely good for Elvis, but at, at the same time, it, it's I don't think it's a, a like the way it's presented is like this is Elvis making a statement and he's making a comeback and he's putting some distance between him and him and Parker. And if we were being told the story from Parker's perspective, that's not the way it would be told. No, I but think. it's a, it's an Elvis thing, you know? Right. It's just, uh, I, we have I, a lot of information from uh, Colonel Tom Parker, right? And he's a good basis since he outlives Elvis too, to kind of, uh, in a loose way, revolve the film around. Right. Um, but see, I thought what you're discussing, I thought that was done on purpose that he's in it less because he the success that he's finding with the helps of people like Steve Binder is because the Colonel is in his life less. So it's very important to not have Tom Hanks in those scenes to see that and see the success Elvis could find without him. Right. So I was okay with those. I understand. I understand that. But if this movie is from the Colonel's perspective, um, 
like the scene itself is a heroic moment for Elvis. This like he's making this grand artistic statement. And if it was if the story wasn't being being told from the colonel's perspective, that's not how he would frame it. You know? Yeah, I mean? no, I, yeah, but I don't know if, even though that's a part of the film, I don't think the whole film, it's not like a biopic of the colonel, right? No. It's just the colonel is, like I said, he's a huge source. Like there's a but, book. But that's, the, but that's it, right? the way that, I mean, that's the way the movie is, is basically set up at the beginning. But not that portion. There's a huge portion without him. No, I so know. I don't, no, I, I understand that, but I'm, I think what we're talking about is the same thing, which is that this movie has two different modes where it's it's set up to be like this is like Parker telling the story, trying to redeem himself. But that's not what the mo- that's not the movie we make. We get out, out like 90 percent of it is not is not Parker trying to redeem himself, even yeah, though that's yeah, how it's it, set up. But yeah, and I, I think it's done in a, a purposeful, more of a purposeful manner. So, right. I just I think what I could have done without is. Like there's about a solid 30 minute chunk at the beginning of this movie where Baz Luhrmann is just like, snap, new scene, snap, new scene, snap. Yes, that is, that's what I was talking about when it comes to uh, some of the editing issues I did have. But that was like just in the first like half hour and then it was totally fine. Yeah, he settles down. He settles down at a a point and just sort of (laughs) starts letting the movie happen. But I just, you know, almost, I think it's somewhere after they him and parker have that talk inside the house which is another beef i have with this movie is like some of the metaphors just like it's just like it's so on the nose it's you know parker's has him in the house of mirrors like (laughs) manipulating him and then uh there's a scene later on where where elvis is opening the the international hotel and he's on stage performing suspicious minds while parker's like essentially selling him out to the hotel owners to do this five-year um conservancy at, at the international it's just like we get it it's a betrayal well i don't know <laughs> I, I i think the first one are you referring to like the scene where elvis is crying because i thought that was done really well i thought that was a great way of showing oh when his mother colonel, dies when the yeah yeah no i like that scene a lot i like that scene a lot and it sets up like it's a good how... way of showing how the colonel manipulates the father and him yes you know? no i, like I mean that. i mean like way later at, at when they oh, go okay. to vegas yeah and... okay that's that i i absolutely agree with that we we saw a bit too much of a glimpse into his uh ca- like gambling his casino life so yeah which i mean you know he essentially sells it. elvis is like i'm gonna go on a world tour um, and the colonel's like, oh, no, we can't do that because I have all these gambling debts and maybe we can do the Vegas yeah. forever. And it's essentially I mean, it's uh, the, the movie is so kind of overwrought in this scene because it's essentially like uh, Baz Luhrmann saying this is where Parker puts the nail in the coffin. And then to have it played out as Elvis is performing suspicious minds, it's just a little too on the nose, Baz Luhrmann. I it's a biopic though not everybody knows in depth amount of information about elvis i i yeah i I don't know i don't think that was uh too awful of a choice uh like you said the only issue is there's too much i think all of that would be fine if it wasn't tom hanks playing him um or if 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 hanks dialed it down a little yeah exactly exactly um well yeah i don't know I, i i think he's already shown that he can't do it so I, I don't know if i would give him another choice another mm. chance like that but yeah, um, I, I mean it just it, it, uh, yeah you it, i think you let this <laughs> take control of the the view and the, like did, did you haven't mentioned austin but like do you not think oh, he's an outstanding no, he's great performance? yeah he's absolutely great he's um i mean to, to come in and play elvis 
who is this larger than life figure. Um, I did not completely forget that I'm watching an actor play Elvis. I did. I, he, I did. He came very, very close. Yeah. And that is to his credit that he is, he, um, he didn't, he wasn't just like pers- personifying Elvis. Like he didn't just go home and watch a bunch of Elvis um, performances. He, it really felt like he was really invested in that performance and, you know, not to get jump ahead to the ending, um, but like the ending of this movie is very, very beautiful oh, with yeah. the, the performance of Unchained Melody. And um, it starts off with Butler and he has like the pudgier cheeks. They put him in a little prosthetics to make him look like chubbier Elvis. And he's, he's performing Unchained Melody. And they start cutting in the archival footage, first of the crowd. And then they cut in the actual archival footage of Elvis performing Unchained Melody. And you have to blink and you're like, wait a minute. Did that change? Is this, am I watching real Elvis footage now? <laughs> and that is, that is really something that you get to the end of this and they start working in the Elvis, like the real footage of Elvis performing the same song that you were just watching Austin Butler perform. And you're like, wait a minute, did that change? And is this now real Elvis? That is, that is like, that shows you just how great of a performance that is that they can, he, the Baz Luhrmann just subs in real Elvis at the end. And you're like, wait, what? Is this real Elvis now? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It's a very uh, a perfect conclusion, which is something that can be tricky for a biopic, uh, yeah. especially when it's someone like Elvis who, you know, he, he died for very, you know, could be possible reasons. Uh, that's just one thing I was glad about too is the um, uh, decisions Baz Luhrmann made of which aspects of Elvis's life he kind of left out. You know, I'm I'm glad there wasn't any focus on the weird, you know sandwiches he ate and all of that <laughs> you know um, what I, I kind I'm, of I'm, i kind of wish there was a bit more because you know his his life was so interesting um and they, they kind of touch on it occasionally the whole thing about um his plane his plane obsession they dealt with very well him going you know like who knows like city to city in the states just to get different uh things for his friends or for himself or whatever right and, and just yeah. just to do it just to fly like the, in the air and just be free i guess well i was thinking more of like the, his his twin brother jesse who died after uh, I, I can't remember if he was still born or if he just um died in utero but i think he was just stillborn. yeah but you know elvis was essentially haunted his whole life by like he, he felt like he had to live twice as much um, you know, sort of in honor of his brother, and a lot of that was instilled. Well, his mother, parents, yeah, his mother didn't help with that at all, which right. is, I think, something they dealt with uh, in, in a very good way. Right? They're just like it's one of these little things that sort of makes the Elvis story a little bit weirder. That could take it beyond sort of like the typical bounds of, of the musical biopic that I wish they would have played with a bit more. Um, the things with you know black music and um whether he was inspired or whether he just like sort of outright ripped off. I feel like the movie's kind of trying to have it both ways with that as well. Well, um, wait, do you mean in a, you don't think they uh, did that well? Cause I thought it was a, it was a heavy part of the uh, beginning, which I think was uh, a good piece of uh, Elvis's youth to show. How I mean, it, it wasn't was, fully it was... a rip off. He was inspired. He was, you know, friends with them like BB King and everything. Right. Um, and he was against the stupid 
Hank Snow and the you know the <laughs> avid supporters of him and segregation and everything, you know. But it was but it, it also showed it also showed him not acknowledging that strongly enough. So right. I felt I think it dealt with both sides well. And like I've seen on Twitter, it's made people realize for the first time, like you know, who the the ain't nothing but a hound dog. That's not him, mm-hmm. right? It's from someone else from Big Mama. Right. right? And uh I thought I thought that was done well. Um, I mean, it's sort of the yeah, first. I, I don't think it was in your face sort of way because it's just in the beginning and then spread out near the end or uh, more halfway in the middle when he's dealing with segregation and issues like that, but never too excessively or, like I said, in your face. It's it's never. It's just showing the role the racial issues played in Elvis's life and vice versa. It's not showing us a huge history and and lesson of it all i think the movie it 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 tackles it in a very real way which i don't think any other like elvis at a elvis biography or kurt russell yeah like i i it it, it deals with it sort of explicitly which i appreciated but there's little there's a scene with little richard in it not like the real little richard but somebody playing little richard <laughs> and little richard is one of those people who has gone on the record saying like elvis ripped us off meaning like black musicians um so i mean th- including that just seems a little it's acknowledging that there are people in black music who, who see elvis as a ripoff artist or as as uh, you know it's it, you know they like they don't like Elvis that he basically sold black music and sold it to white audiences as a white man, but um, it almost seems like hey it's Little Richard you know <laughs> it, it just uh, and here he is hanging out with BB King and they're like friends and, and I mean that part of it was true Elvis was very was very friendly with BB King but I mean this there is kind of this paradox hanging over it and Baz Luhrmann doesn't feel like he wants to take a side. It just feels like he wants to kind of have it both ways rather than. Yeah. I, I think it's something that would kind of have to be the full film, you know? Yeah. I mean, that could, that um, could be a really movie. That could be a movie department. by itself. That could be a movie by itself. Yeah. And I, 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 I do it could kind have of been a heavier focus too. And I'm glad there wasn't because they dealt with like enough of it, but like drugs could have been way more of a, that a direct been, focus, yeah. you know? That could have yeah. been a big thing too. Like just, I mean, that scene, it's such a quick scene, but it, it's so powerful when he like when he faints and um, and Parker says, like, I don't care what you do. He has to be on the stage in 30 minutes. Oh, I, that's what I'm, I, I'm glad that he did it in more of a, yeah. a subtle way. It, it, we don't get to see him abusing it so much, but we do get to see its impact. You're right. But it could have it could have been in it more, but I'm, I don't even know if that would have been yeah. the right choice. I, I really I, I thought it was done well. I mean, it could especially that scene that you're referring to. My goodness, it could have been a Sid and Nancy thing where it's all about him, like being like the curtains drawn in dark rooms as people are bringing him pills and shots and and things. And uh, I'm not sure if that's a movie I want to see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, exactly. No, they also uh, uh, more of a huge part uh, could have been a weight gain. That wasn't really uh, a heavy aspect of it. But um, it's also uh, like we were saying, it deals with a lot of the torments that he dealt with and yeah. how it did affect Lisa and his, you know, former wife. Um, mm-hmm. But it was 
overall a, a praise towards Elvis. And uh, yeah, and I'm okay with that. And that's why I, another reason I'm glad they didn't deal too heavily with some of the with the flaws, but just enough to show a real portrayal of Elvis. Yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. This is like this is a man who lived 42 years, but it was such a big life too. And and I I love. I love how they're not precious with Elvis's music. Like there are a lot of really interesting arrangements and things. Um, there's a really interesting use of can't help falling in love, which I, I can't, I've tried to, to look up the history of the song because there's a scene where he impressed uh, Priscilla having just met and it's playing on the record player. And I'm like, I could have swore that Elvis, that was like an Elvis song that it wasn't one that, you know, it, it was before that, but I couldn't, get too far into the research but the the way that song is used to sort of punctuate these various phases of of their relationship from like the beginning when the, when they meet in germany to uh all the way to the, the the final scene where she's moving out off where it's like this very kind of like haunting kind of or- orchestral rendition uh, of it it's i i really love the way Elvis's music was used and there are scenes like where it's like it flows from like the the rhythm and blues version of uh like Hound Dog or Jailhouse Rock and then it goes into the Elvis version and then you yeah. sort of hear these flourishes later on it's such a brilliant use of the music that is not um overly reverential and and not necessarily like we have to get our two minutes in of each of these songs it's um yeah, a great I, intertwining of it. Yeah, it's 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 a really great like this movie is really gifted in the way it does with uses the musical editing and and that's the, always been the shtick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's also it's like uh, the Great Gatsby, whereas uh, that was set in the twenties. This is set, you know, fifties, sixties, seventies, but there's still uh, like present day music on it. But yeah. it it worked, it worked well. It's uh, especially when it was. Um, you know, Big Mama and other uh, scenes, um, Baby Kane and everything like that. Uh, they intertwined it well and showed the inspiration that hip hop holds from soul and yeah. from early rock and, you know, later, later jazz. Um, and I thought that was, yeah, that was really, really uh, well done. Yeah. Um, I'm also just, you know, I'm, I'm myself a fan of old, you know, Kanye and he's in it, so that was you know, <laughs> might be a little bias, uh, biased viewpoint towards it. But uh, as always, Baz Luhrmann used present music, but somehow intertwines it well with the fifties and the eras yeah. and the cultures that inspired it. I think this is one of those movies where it, the, the the parts are greater than the sum of the whole, and um, it, it's 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 very well made. It Austin Putler is amazing. The music is great. Um, but like Tom, <laughs> like you were saying, Tom Hanks yeah. sucking kind of that's that's not a small thing. You that's know not what a I mean? small thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I still think this is like a must, and I, I really do hope. Uh I kind of I kind of just I hope Austin gets the, the Oscar, right? For yeah. for uh, best performance. I think yeah. Um, but no, I, I can't argue against your Colonel Tom Park reviews because they're not they're they're not wrong. No, but uh if nothing else, this will this movie will go down in history as the movie that gave Tom Hanks COVID. And, 
<laughs> that's not that's not that's not shabby anyway that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it and if you want to listen to it again you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com you can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn and Spotify when you're on Spotify you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. just search for End Credits on CFRU in your Spotify app and you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at, at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. See, when we're running out of time, I start throwing out the open sources links, but that's okay. <laughs> Peter, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, as per usual, Mr. Towerack on good old YouTube and uh, Twitter. All right. I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram personally at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return with another great edition of End Credits next week at 3 p.m., Wednesday at 3 p.m., and we will see you then. Thank you.